I mentioned last week when referring to the struggle that we have in the flesh, or the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, it is not who we are, but whose we are. Who do we belong to if Christ is in you? If you belong to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then we are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. But on the other hand, if the Spirit of Christ is not in us, then we do not belong to Jesus. It's fairly clear here in Romans chapter 8. If you belong to Jesus, then the Spirit of God is in you. If you don't belong to Jesus, then the Spirit of God is not in you. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. to see a message that I entitled from Romans 8 verses 1 through 17, no condemnation. We will look at the law of the spirit in verses 1 through 4, the spiritually minded in verses 5 through 8, and the spirit of Christ verses 9 and 11, and the spirit of adoption verses 12 through 17. Let me just say this. I pick up my Bible. I have it up here. Once in 20 years, I've actually dropped it off my pulpit because of the way I set it on this very small pulpit. But the reason I have it, I could do everything from my iPad. In fact, the print is bigger in my iPad. I make it that way to help me out. But I think it's important for us to uphold the Word of God and to put it forth that others can see it. It's why I pick it up. It's why I read from it. It's why I still carry a Bible, and I prefer the Bible. I prefer the pages over... I I like the convenience of technology, but I still like picking up books, especially the Word of God. In my Bible, I don't know what child or grandkid's going to get this Bible, but there is a lot of notes in this Bible. I hope that one day it will be passed on. And they can see what dad or papa had to say about something. But I think as a pastor, it's important to hold forth the word of God. And it's why I still do it. Maybe uh, I'll have to get one with a wider print one day, a bigger print. But until then, we'll go for it. Here it is, point three, the spirit of Christ, verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you, the Spirit of Christ. If Christ is in you, verses 9 and 10, we find the importance of uh, Christ being in us, but also the Spirit of God being in us. I mentioned last week when referring to the struggle that we have in the flesh, or the struggle between the flesh and the Spirit, it is not who we are, but whose we are. Who do we belong to if Christ is? is in you if you belong to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then we are no longer in the flesh but in the Spirit. But on the other hand, if the Spirit of Christ is not in us, then we do not belong to Jesus. It's fairly clear here in Romans chapter 8. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, then the Spirit of God is in you. If you don't belong to Jesus, then the Spirit of God is not in you. If Christ is in us, then we are his. And if we are his, then the Spirit of God dwells in us. And if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. By the way, I said that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times in the first 27 verses of Romans chapter 8. That one that I questioned whether it was speaking of the Holy Spirit or man's spirit is there in verse 10. I wasn't quite sure because in verse 10 he says, I'll read it again. And if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. He's talking about our body being dead because of sin because Christ is in our body. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So... God, the Holy Spirit is life because of righteousness? Absolutely. But he's talking about our body, so he could be talking about our spirit there. Remember, the Greek was written with all capital letters. So that's how they wrote the original uh, Koine Greek. It was all caps. And so for us to look back at it, we have to figure out the beginning of sentences. They didn't have punctuation. They didn't have periods. You have to figure it all out and say, oh, that's an end of a sentence. That's the beginning of a sentence. That's a new paragraph. That's a new thought. They had to kind of think the whole thing through. I love the King James and the New King James because they do capitalize the letters referring to God. If it's a he or a him or God, and if it's a, talking about a, a God in the world that's not God the Father who created, it'll be a little g versus a big g. I love that. But... I'm not saying that they always got everyone correct. This could be talking about man's spirit. Our spirit is life because of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ, if Christ is in us. So that was just me kind of questioning. You know, that one, to me, could go either way. But this really is a, I saw it as a type of circular reasoning. Uh, circular reasoning means to make an argument by beginning with an assumption that what you're trying to prove is already true. So to me, the circular reasoning begins with, if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, then all the other things will also be true that he's talking about. If Christ is in you, 
then the spirit dwells in you. If the spirit dwells in you, then the flesh is dead because of sin. If the flesh is dead because of sin, because Christ is in you, the spirit dwells in you, then the spirit is life. It's a circular reasoning, but it all comes back to Christ. Christ is the hinge of everything. That circle has to be completed because we are in Christ Jesus. Thus, believers are not in the flesh because the Spirit of God dwells in them. And if Christ is in us, then our bodies are dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It's not who we are, but whose we are. It's who we belong to. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God by faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed into his death. It's not who we are, but to whom we belong. But his spirit dwells in you, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. To dwell in you, it's a Greek word that means to reside, to inhabit, to abide in. And it speaks about the Holy Spirit abiding in a Christian's life. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit of God is in us. It's more than this, though. The Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead. You know, we can do a lot of things. In our flesh, as humans, God has given us a lot of capabilities. Has anyone in here ever brought somebody back to life who was dead? We can do a lot of things, but we can't do something supernatural like that. But think about this. The Spirit of Him, the Spirit of God, who raised Christ from the dead, that same power, we think about, you know, for us, it would be like the greatest power you could possibly ever have to bring life to a human body. We can't do it, but if we could imagine that we could, we'd have to think, wow, that's some power. Well, the while that some power is the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead, that same Spirit indwells us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Yet, this is more than just the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Paul is speaking about the power that's associated with the Spirit in us. Ephesians 2, 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, not only gives us life, but he empowers us, both now and on into eternity. In 1 Corinthians six fourteen, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And if God's Spirit is in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What need do we have that He cannot meet in our lives? Just think about that. When you pray and ask, Lord, I know this is a hard one, Lord. And the Lord is thinking, really? Not for me. Remember, I raised Jesus from the dead. 
I can do all things. I can do things that you can't even contemplate or think of. But in our minds, we think it's a hard one. We need to remember that when we're coming to the Lord in prayer and thinking, Lord, this is beyond me and it might be a challenge for you as well. That's how we think. I know we know better than that. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in us. He dwells in us. And to have the Spirit of Christ means that we belong to God. And finally, verses 12 through 17, we also have the Spirit of adoption. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, I'll add, and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. First of all, we see in verses 12 and 13 that we live by the Spirit. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. To be a debtor means that we owe. One who owes anything to another. And as debtors to Jesus, with God's Spirit dwelling in us, we are to live according to the Spirit. We have a debt. We are debtors, not to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter 4, verses 2 and 3, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. To live according to the flesh means certain death, but to live according to the Spirit means life. Peter said we've spent enough of time, past time, or past life doing those things of the flesh. He actually said the things of the Gentiles. But isn't it interesting that we find people tend to fall back to the old, old things. Old things that are not good things, they just tend to often fall back to those old paths, those old beaten down paths that were not the paths of God. And as life goes on, they begin to disfellowship themselves, at first with their church and the people within that church. Ultimately, they might disfellowship themselves with God. They fall back to those old things. Peter said, we spent enough of our lifetime doing those things. It is time that we should live the rest of our time for the will of God. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so it's an issue of death versus life, how we're going to conduct ourselves. In verses 14 through 15, we're to be led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. And we are called the sons of God. I said the sons and daughters of God. I included you ladies in the text. But not only the spirit of adoption, but that we could cry out, Abba, 
Father. That phrase, Abba Father, is only found three times in the New Testament. Here in Romans 8, 15. And then again in Galatians 4, 6. Again, Paul would write, Because you are the sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then the third time we find it, it's Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark 14, 35 and 36, when he prayed to the Father, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nonetheless, not what I will, but you will. This privilege that we can pray to God the Father and say Abba. It was a term for the Jews, what a Jewish boy might uh, greet their father with. It has a, a sense of intimacy. And it's a phrase that the Jews didn't use when talking about God. It would be like saying, Daddy, Daddy. It's something that you might hear as a parent, the way your child addresses you. And they may address you in the same way that others are addressed. I know I'm not the only Papa out there, but there's only a few kids that can actually call me Papa, and it has that intimacy, that endearment with it. It has that meaning that comes along with it, that we are to have with God. Jesus used it there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Paul mentioned it twice in his epistles, here in Romans 8.15 and also in Galatians 4.6. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, speaking about a child praying, a Christian praying to the Father, and he's a man that stood for faith during, from Germany, and stood for faith and even lost his life because of his stance. But he wrote, In the Cost of Discipleship, he said, the child asked of a father whom he knows. Thus, the essence of Christian prayer is not general adoration, but definite, concrete petition. The right way to approach God is to stretch out our hands and ask of the one who we know has the heart of a father. The right way to approach God. I don't know if you have to stretch out your hands, but in a sense of adoration, but not just adoration. It's knowing that God has the heart of the Father, that we can pray, Abba, Father. And then verses 16 and 17, the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And while the witness of man may be flawed with half-truths, the witness of God stands as a sure testimony, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's witness in our life uh, it is a promise from Jesus. In John 15, 26, the Lord said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And the Holy Spirit being in our lives, that testimony, he testifies of Jesus Christ. And as believers, we partake in the glory of Jesus Christ. We're not just saved from eternal punishment in hell, but we have become partakers 
in Jesus' glory. We are children. We are joint heirs. And as heirs in Christ, we join with his suffering that we might also join in his glory. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Now, I'm not saying that we should look for opportunities to get ourselves thrown into prison. But there are different types of sufferings that we can go through in this life. We can suffer with the loss of or the difficulty uh, with a loved one, a loss of a job or a difficulty within that job. Uh, health issues that we go through, the list could go on and on. But during the difficulties that we face in this life, are we trusting in Jesus through these hardships? Or are we abandoning Jesus because of our hardships? I've seen people go both ways. I can tell you that so far in my life, when things get way too difficult for me to handle, I cling and run to Jesus. I don't know, as quick as I can, I guess. It depends on the level of what I perceive difficulty is. The Lord has given me uh, mechanical hands, and I can figure out things. I can build. I can usually figure out a mechanical issue. And so I'll have to admit to you that a lot of times I fall back on my abilities that the Lord has given to me. But there are things that are way beyond me that just causes me to run to Jesus so, so quickly. For me to live is Christ. Whether we are blessed with health or not, wealth or not, it's how we conduct ourselves as believers in Christ that matters. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we have received the spirit of adoption, we can cry out, Abba, Father. You know, I miss the fact that I can't physically talk with my dad anymore. I haven't for years. He died when I was 28 years old, so it's been a while since I've been able to talk with my dad, to have an issue, to fellowship and sit with him. But Father God, he's always been there for me. Abba, Father. I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to remember just a couple of things from this message. You can remember more if something else has spoken to you. But three things that I think really stand out. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. I think that we tend to condemn ourselves more than we ought to. Because if we are in Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Number two, just think about it. And you can read through the list yourself. I posted it on our Facebook page my compilation of verses 1 through 27 and the work of the Holy Spirit. I put it up on our Facebook page if you want to look at that. Or can I challenge you to do what I did on Friday morning? I just opened up Romans chapter 8 with an empty notebook, and I wrote down every time it mentioned the Holy Spirit. And then I wrote down what it mentioned about the Holy Spirit, and that's where I got my list. I was just reading the Word of God with an uh, empty piece of paper and a pen, and I just allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to me. But think about this. The number of times that the Lord mentions the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. So no condemnation. 
the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, mentioned 20 times in 27 verses of Romans chapter 8, and the fact that we can cry out, Abba, Father. What more do we need in this world that we live in? Father, we thank you that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, that we can have intimacy with you, a relationship with you, not just saved from hell that we might go to heaven, but brought into the family of God, heirs of Christ Jesus, joint heirs with Christ. Father, I pray that you would be with us now. I pray, Lord, that this chapter would be an encouragement, encouraging chapter to this congregation, because I know, Lord, that we all go through stuff in this life, and sometimes we forget if God is in us, who could possibly be against us? Sometimes, Lord, we forget there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Sometimes, Lord, we forget of the Spirit's work in our lives and the power that's available to us because of that. Sometimes, Lord, we forget that we can cry out, Abba, Father. But I pray, Lord, that you have reminded us of these things this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.